0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Anyway, Jesus, and you're aware of this, had compassion on us, not because we were so good or trying so hard or, or so lovable. He had compassion on us because it's his nature to express the loving character that, that defines him by showing compassion to us. While we were yet in enemies of God, we're told, he died for us.
0: As we move through the sixth chapter in the book of Mark, we're going to look at the last 26 verses, starting in verse 30. In a message entitled, Our Compassionate Savior, Pastor Sam will be looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, and Jesus healing many with his touch. So let's listen in.
1: Mark 6, 30 through 56, title of our study, Our Compassionate Savior. Back in verse 7, same uh, chapter, chapter 6, Jesus had called his disciples to him. He had paired them up in preparation to send them out. He empowered them. He instructed them and then he sent them out to represent him. In verse 12, it says they preached repentance. They cast out demons. They anointed and healed the sick. Here in verse 30, where we begin this morning, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. The needs were great. The disciples were few. So Jesus said, hey, come aside. Come with me. Let's rest a bit before we head out again. So they departed to a deserted place, verse 32, in the boat by themselves. Luke adds these few words. It says he took them away. I like that. Sometimes he sends them away. He'll do that later in this chapter uh, because he was going to go spend some time alone with the father. He'll send them out on the water to cross over the lake that they crossed over recently and will cross over again and again. They spend a lot of time going back and forth there on the Sea of Galilee. And I was thinking, because our trip's coming up, it would really be awesome to do that, to actually trace. I don't know that we'll have time, but uh, to trace Where he went and what he did there and come back. He came back here and he did this and then he went over there and he did that. We do that a little. But uh, he spent considerable time there on the Sea of Galilee and at the Sea of Galilee ministering uh, to the many people. Well, he takes them then away with him. And, uh, and then, of course, th- th- there's always practical application. He didn't just send them. He took them with him because the best place to rest is in the presence of our Lord. Some of you found that out here. You know, the Lord's here. Most of you are going to learn a lot this morning. A few of you will wake refreshed. Either way, the Lord gives his loved ones rest and so I encourage you, though, if you can, stay, a, you know, stay with us. There's a lot here to unpack, some very practical things to take home and put into practice. Well, the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. Verse 33, they arrived before them. And came together to him. The lake at this point, from where they're departing and where they're landing, is only four miles wide. So you can look across and see the other side. It's a 10 mile walk, or run, or jog uh, if you're on foot. And it turns out that if the winds are contrary in your face, someone can jog that faster than you can row it. And that's what happens here. They get in the boat with the intention to get to the other side unencumbered. But when they get there, the people are waiting for them. So it says they arrived before them and they came together and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. I love the brevity of Mark. I know some of you wish I was more like him. I'm not. But, but I appreciate that he's able to put into two words what Earlier on, in another context, uh, Jesus had really done the same thing. He had taught them many things. Those many things in an earlier context were Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Here Mark just says, and he's not referring to the same sermon or the same mount. What he's doing, though, is saying that it's the same basic teaching. Jesus often in new context, would repeat things he had taught elsewhere. We see that come up again and again. Well, he, he saw them, had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. One of the other gospel writers says they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Easy pray for the wolves, easy prey for the thieves, easy prey for the con men. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It says he had compassion on them. I titled the study, Our Compassionate Savior, because it's something we're seeing. Well, less and less of in our culture, real compassion toward other people, especially if they're people, well, we disagree with or we're people they disagree with. There's a lack of this. Now, Noah Webster, not Webster from TV, but Webster's Dictionary, 1828, he defines compassion in this way, a mixed passion compassion compounded of love and sorrow at least some portion of love generally attesting the pain or attending the pain or regret or is excited by we wouldn't use that term we'd say ignited by lit up by it It cites, he goes on to cite the extreme distress of an enemy, and he says, can change enmity into at least temporary affection. That's important to us, and here's why. It's an absolutely true statement. He spent a lot of time in the Word of God, and if you look up biblical, um, you know, theological terms, he defines them accurately. If you look up Uh, Terms which are being debated in our generation. He defines those accurately, but you got to go back to like the 1828 version. It's the very best. And uh, and by the way, um, it's also a great tool for working out. It's like this thick and uh, and, you know, awesome, awesome book. Well, anyway, Jesus, and you're aware of this had compassion on us, not because we were so good or trying so hard or, or so lovable. He had compassion on us because it's his nature to express the loving character that, that defines him by showing compassion to us. While we were yet in enemies of God, we're told, he died for us. You can't go any further than that. It's the picture of a soldier saving an enemy soldier that he finds dying on the battlefield. It's coming to him and instead of putting an end to him, it's taking him home and, and, and figuring it out, raising him up, healing him. We'll get a good illustration of that in a moment. Well, Psalm 78, after recording the history of Israel's wilderness wandering and, and it, they, they wander for 40 years and it's an apt title, in the wilderness of sin. After that, in um, the midst of many judgments, Psalm 78, 38 says this, he being full of compassion. It, it says here that Jesus was moved with compassion In our passage, filled with compassion, overflowing compassion. And that's what we're looking at back in Psalm 78, 38, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and doesn't come again again. Psalm 145, verse 8 says, The Lord is full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. To be compassionate is to have a temper or disposition to pity, inclined to show mercy, merciful, having a heart that is tender, easily moved by the distresses, sufferings, wants, and infirmities of others. We get a great picture of this and the story, I, I believe, carried out many times in reality. And the story of the prodigal son in Luke 10, where, where you know, um, well, actually, that's, well, that's in chapter 15. Let's deal with this one first. Uh, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. A guy's going from Jerusalem on the Jericho Road, very narrow, very dangerous Uh, before thieves and robbers show up, but thieves and robbers show up. They beat the man, they strip him of his clothing, take all of his belongings, and they leave him there for dead. A priest walks by, probably in a hurry. He looks over and just moves to the other side. Then a Levite, he does the very same thing. Then we read a Samaritan. By the way, Samaritans despised by the Jews, looked down on by the Jews, and so the Samaritan, and they're always spoken of positively by our Lord, he sees the man, he takes him, he bandages up his wounds, he uses oil and wine to try to clean them out and, and do a little, uh, you know, um, you know f- taking care of them best he could with what he had. Then he puts him on his donkey, he takes him to an inn, pays the innkeeper to take care of him all this, by the way, comes about an answer to a question after they asked Jesus, who, what's the greatest commandment? And you know the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, one of the lawyers among them said, well, who is my neighbor? This is what he's talking about. And so he says, well, certainly in this, in this story, it's, it's not the, the religious leaders Neither the priest nor the Levite. No, it's the Samaritan. Because the the Samaritan takes care of the hurting, wounded, dying man. He survives because of the great and good Samaritan. And so Jesus is, is showing us your neighbor is whoever you come across who's in need. That's who we're supposed to love. That's who we're supposed to care for. Now, in this age of hostility and anger and frustration and aggression, Uh, it's so important that we show compassion because it's not just political polarization, it is cultural polarization to the extreme. And people don't just have a different opinion. They're angry that you believe what you believe. and, And we need to make sure we don't respond in kind. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, do good to them. Why? Because that's the only way to show the love of God to someone who absolutely is filled with hate and frustration and anger and hostility. Will they respond in kind? May not, probably not. But at least you'll be doing what Jesus said. You'll be pleasing the Lord. And in some cases, you may actually win them to the Lord. Well, this other story, and I started to mention it first, it's in Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. Again, we're very familiar with it. If you're new to a study of scripture, just read the Bible. All the stories will, they'll kind of stick. You'll remember. And in Luke 15, Son comes to his father and he's like, I'd like my inheritance now while I can enjoy it. And so the father gives him his inheritance. He goes out. He wasted all. And this is a very short summary of a very amazingly beautiful story. You should read it all later. Anyway, he comes to his senses and he realizes that my, my, my dad, my servants in his place, they're better off than I am here. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll go home and I'll I'll tell him I'm not worthy to be called his son and just ask him to make me like one of his hired servants. And so he goes home and as he's approaching the house, his father runs out to him. And as he sees and runs to him, it says his father saw him. I'll read this part so I get it exactly as Jesus shared it. Verse 20 of Luke 15. He rose and came to his father when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and again your, against, and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's something we could be saying to the Lord, some of us today. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not worthy. And then you'll hear something very similar to this. The father said to the servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Well, we read back here in Mark, verse 34, latter part. Jesus was moved with compassion for them. He didn't just feel something toward them. He did things for them. Why? They were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And we read it. He began to teach them many things. Jesus, again, teaches them first because the spiritual priority is life first and then fuel for life. Once someone's alive in Christ Jesus, they must eat. And basically, he fed the newborns the milk of the word. We're told as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So if you're young in the Lord, he's saying, open the word, read the gospels, and the milk will refresh you and restore you and help you to grow. Then as you begin to grow Well, you know, he told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Certainly they needed that physically, but we understand he intended it for us spiritually. Most of us have, uh, you know, no problem getting all the bread we need, but we, we don't always get the living bread of God's word as much as we need. So. We take the milk of the word, you take the bread of the word, then you start to, uh, to uh, get some teeth. And as you do, you get the meat of the word. And, and here's the interesting thing. It's not like you ever get to where the milk doesn't bless you or doesn't feed you or doesn't nourish you. Same with the bread. It's just that your diet increases and your appetite increases as you grow in the Lord. So quick Question. Do you have a greater appetite for the Word of God today than you did a year ago, or two years ago, or five years ago? Because if the answer's no, then before we leave, you should say, Lord, I remember having an insatiable desire for your Word. That's not happening for whatever reason today. If you pray and ask, He'll always answer. When it's his will, he'll always answer in the affirmative. And you got to know it's his will that you get into his word. And I remember a season where I went before him as a young Christian and said, Lord, I don't hunger the way your word says I should. And I have all these other desires and passions and hungers and appetites. And I'm like, Lord, Take my appetite for those away and give me an insatiable hunger for your word. And listen, he delights in such a prayer and he always answers it in the affirmative. I have been reading his word ever since and teaching it almost as long as I've been reading it. So in any case, the milk of the word, the bread of the word, the meat of the word. He not only gives them direction through his word and and fuel for growth, but he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he feeds them spiritually. And here are three areas besides the food itself of the word. He gives them direction saying, follow me. And you will have the light of life. He gives them protection because as he taught them, well, he taught them the world allures, the flesh craves, the devil tempts. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they'll never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So direction, following the light of the world, walking in the light, protection from all that's inside and all that's outside as we simply hear the voice of the Lord and follow him and then provision. It says, so he fed them. Um, I love in John 21, after restoring Peter privately, he restores him publicly. He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? First time, do you love me more than these? There's a lot to it. But for now, let me just say, he says, Lord, you know, I love you. Lord, you know all things. Lord, you know, you know, you know. This is the same Peter who says, Lord, you don't know. No, that will never happen. Or you, that, No, no way, Lord. And so he says, if you love me, he says, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep. After feeding them spiritually, well, all that great food for thought left them with thoughts of food. It was getting late, they were getting hungry. And so when the day was far spent, verse 35, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages. And buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. Now, there's no reason to impugn the motivation, as their request from a mere human perspective makes total sense. I mean, there's, by the when you get to the end of the story, there's 500 men plus their, 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 uh, the women and the children that would have been among them. 5,000, excuse me, men plus the women and children that were among them. So this is a massive group of people. And the disciples look at the situation and they're like, man, we need to do something. So they go to the Lord and they say, hey, we think it's time to send everybody home. It makes sense to tell them, hey, go fend for yourselves. But Jesus has a better plan. It's likely, it's probable that if they all left, not everyone would have ate well that evening. Lots of people were poor. Lots of people were impoverished. Some of them might not have eaten at all. But Jesus wants to make sure everyone's fed. And then he wants to make sure... That he demonstrates once again with God, nothing will be impossible. He answers them, verse 37. He answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, their response to this reminds me that I do the same thing. And you probably do as well. When I'm confronted or directed, or instructed, or commanded by my Lord to do the impossible, my first response is, that's impossible. And uh, he doesn't mind that. He's not surprised by that. And and, and if you're wondering, well, where does he tell us to do the impossible? Here's one. He says, love your enemies. I mentioned it already. And and, and listen, loving your enemies, if if we're honest today, we're like, Lord, I'm still working on loving my friends. This does not come natural to me. And of course it doesn't. L- loving our enemies will never feel natural. We may struggle even once we're doing it because there's always that part of us, you see? And and so what, what he's saying is, if you, if I command you to do the impossible, you just need to know with the command, I provide the strength.
0: Today, Pastor Sam talked about the milk of the word, the bread of the word, and our hunger for it. To clearly understand the importance of this, I would have you look at the first three verses of Psalm 1, where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, And whatever he does shall prosper. Now, if that sounds at all appealing to you, learn to delight yourself in the Word of God. Ask the Lord to give you that delight of your heart, and he will. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.